So um, this morning, I just wanted to share with you, we're continuing on the theme of Pentecost because the day of Pentecost that we celebrated was just the other day. And um, I said to you, I started studying on the person of the Holy Spirit and, oh, what a subject. My favorite subject. I love the subject of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the New Testament. The point of the New Testament is the Holy Spirit. You know, we don't forget God, we don't forget Jesus, but uh, the Spirit is called the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Spirit of the Lord God, and He has many, many titles. And uh, the Father had the Spirit as God, and uh, when Jesus ascended and He sat down at the right hand after His ascension, He received from the Father the Holy Spirit, which He then poured out, and which was witnessed on the day of Pentecost, and the Apostle Peter stood up and interpreted the physical phenomena of speaking in tongues and giving thanks to God and prophesying, and he interpreted the phenomena as this was that. He referred to one Old Testament prophecy, one, in the book of Joel chapter 2. I just love teaching this. In the book of Joel chapter 2 verse 28, when he said this is that which was, you know, promised And uh, he talked about God pouring out his spirit on your sons and daughters, you know, dreaming dreams, having visions, and prophesying. And so what they saw in a physical manifestation, which was supernatural, because instantaneously they received a language they'd never heard, and somehow it was interpreted into all the languages of the people standing around that they could hear people praising God for his wonderful works in their own language. Just the phenomenon of the Spirit, the dynamics, the dimension of the Holy Spirit is amazing. Amen? And so if we don't have the Holy Spirit, you will just hear my words. But if we have the Holy Spirit when we preach, you will hear other words. You will hear what's pertinent to you and what's relevant to you. You know, God can can take my words and personally apply it to you. And so there becomes a spirit of hearing. And the words then become spirit and life. And so then it bypasses the mind only, and it enters into the spirit of a person. So the phenomena was interpreted, but because it stood close to the end of the Old Testament, it doesn't take away from the fact that there are multiple prophecies in the Old Testament about the coming of the Holy Spirit. The New Testament is the book of the Spirit, but so is the Old And so it was prophesied in Ezekiel, it was prophesied in Jeremiah, it was prophesied in other books of the Bible about the time when the shepherd would come. And that's why when Jesus stood in John chapter 10 and he said, I am the shepherd, he wasn't just informing the people of his pastoral care for the people of Israel as the people of God, he was informing them of fulfillment of prophecy. Because God had said through Jeremiah, I've got an issue with your shepherds, with your pastors. But I'm going to send you a true shepherd, one after the heart of David. Well, there's a whole lot of prophecies there about the son of David. So the shepherd would come, and it was prophesied about the shepherd that when the shepherd would come, in Ezekiel 32, I think, that when the shepherd would come, that all around God's holy hill, there would be showers, showers of blessing, amongst other things. And so when Jesus came and said, I am the good shepherd, what he was saying was, it's about to rain the Spirit. 
and blessings will fall all around. And he said, and all around my holy hill as well. In other words, if we have showers on the hill, if we have showers in the city, if we have showers in Zion, everybody else is going to get blessed as well. So I'm not trying to overwhelm you with information. I'm trying to minister to your spirit as well. I'm trying to get you excited. Is that okay? And I'm going for a particular point this morning. I'm preaching for a verdict. And so the Spirit would come and He would be poured out. And so Zechariah prophesies this in Zechariah chapter 10. He says, in the time of rain, ask for rain. Pray ye the Lord sends rain. In the time of rain. So when should we be praying for the Spirit? In the time of rain. It wasn't the time in the Old Testament. But certainly after Jesus came was the time of the rain. Because the shepherd came and he said, there's going to be rain according to Ezekiel's prophecy. So when should we be praying for rain? Now, all the time. We should be praying, God, send your rain, send your rain, send more of your Holy Spirit. Is that okay? The Holy Spirit loves to be invited. He loves to be wanted. He loves to be desired. He loves to be hungered for. He loves to be thirsted for. If you don't hunger and thirst for Him, He doesn't come. He doesn't come uninvited. He's an invited guest. So please, invite Him. Please invite Come on, let's, come on, let's just say, Holy Spirit, come, come, just greater measure, come, fill us more, amen. We need to respond to Him. And so He wants to, to come, and He wants to rain, and He wants to shower. And so when we come to the day of Pentecost, it's a literal fulfillment. Within 50 days of Jesus speaking, and His longest recorded dialogue in the Gospel of John, end of John 13, all the way through to the end of John 17, and in that period, He starts to talk, to the disciples about, I'm going. Physically me, I'm going. You will not see me. For a little while, then I'll be back, and then I'm gone. But then I'll be back. But I'll be back in the person of the Spirit. I'm sending you another, another alos, another of exactly the same kind, another comforter, the advocate, the paraclete, the one who will come alongside you, the one who will help you. He is my other self. He's just like me. And he will be with you, and he will be in you. The world cannot receive him. And so he spoke to them. And then later after his resurrection, he appeared to them and said, Go and wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father. Luke chapter 24. He said, Wait there. Wait there. Early in Acts, he said, You've got to wait until you receive the Spirit. Because when the Spirit comes, when you receive him, you shall receive power. This is all old hat to you, I know. I know you all know it. But I want you to listen with fresh ears. Amen? Because we listen to something that we actually haven't all got. You can sit there and go, I know it, I know it, I know it. You only know it if you know it experientially. Okay, it's even more quiet now. I'm not beating you up. I'm trying to stir you up. Is that okay? And, um, and so the day of Pentecost comes, and it's a fulfillment of everything. Massive transitions take place. The dynamic of the Trinity changes. Jesus ascends. Now he's our advocate in heaven, 1 John 2. But he's left us an advocate on earth. That even if you don't say a word, he has agreement on earth. And he puts his spirit inside of you. And you can't even articulate the groanings and the longings and the yearnings. Most times we're oblivious. But the spirit of God, spirit of Christ is crying out in us to him and as our advocate in heaven he responds 
powerful. You getting something? Okay, this was just the introduction. And so he's our advocate within. He's a helper within. He's the one called alongside. Listen, if you didn't have the spirit of Christ, you would not be born again. Firstly, you wouldn't be alive physically. Secondly, you wouldn't be alive spiritually. He's the very breath life of Jesus. Amen. Of God. He breathed into us his very own spirit. And so your spirit, which was dead in transgressions and sins, became alive. It's the spirit that sanctifies us. He's the power within that transforms us. He's the one that leads us into truth. He guides us. He influences us. He empowers us. He is the fruit of the life of Christ. Amen. And, and so he's the power inside us. He's the one that produces fruit. And Paul says this, since you live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So now let's turn and go to the person of the Holy Spirit. He's mentioned right throughout Scripture. But one of the things about it is that he has numerous titles as being the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, etc., etc. But the main title is the Holy Spirit. Everybody say the, 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 the. That word the is very, 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 very important. I mentioned it the other week. That word the is important. Please don't leave out the when you refer to the Holy Spirit. Don't leave out the. If the Bible, if the Spirit inspires the in front of that title of the Holy Spirit, then we need to use it. I hear so many Christians, Holy Spirit told me. Which one? Did this Holy Spirit tell me? Or did that Holy Spirit tell me? Or did the Holy Spirit, an angel, tell me? There are many Holy Spirits. Your Spirit is holy. An angel is a Holy Spirit. Which one? The demarcates him. The equals he is singular. He is unique. He is the one, the main one, okay? And so, so when we use the word the, we are defining exactly who we are speaking about. It's not father told me. It's our father or your father told me or our heavenly father told me. It's not Holy Spirit told me. It's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit told me. Then, of course, you know, this title that is used, then he's holy, Okay? Holy. He's holy. Holiness is the white hot heat of righteousness. It doesn't only imply integrity. It doesn't only imply morality. But it also implies character. He's holy. Everybody say the. Holy Spirit. And Spirit, of course, we all know. In other words, He's not physical. He's Spirit, which is the essential nature of God. He's Spirit in nature. And so, as Spirit, He can limit Himself. He can unlimit Himself. He can be everywhere. He can be in one place. Spirit dynamic is incredible. And it's because he's spirit that he could reside inside of you. He's not a force. He's not an influence, although he is a force. And he can be forceful. He's not an influence, although he can influence. He's the third person of the Trinity. One of the beautiful things about the Holy Spirit is this, is that he has no name. He goes by titles and symbols and definitions and descriptions of his function. I don't want to say too much more about it, but all I want to say is this, is because the person of Jesus is the one who's to be exalted, 
he hides much of his identity in order that Jesus gets the glory. And his main role, and Jesus said it, said it to his disciples, he will bring glory to me by taking from me what I've received from the Father and making it known to you. But the glory goes to Jesus. And so angels as well. I'm just going to slip this in because it's good for us to just correct doctrine. There's only two angels in the Bible whose names we know, and that's Michael and Gabriel. And uh, they are not archangels together with Lucifer. Lucifer was never an angel. Lucifer was the king of Babylon. He was not the worship leader in heaven. It's not in the Bible. So he can't be an archangel. It doesn't ever say about Gabriel that he was an archangel. It doesn't say it anywhere in the Bible. You can find it in some of the apocryphal material. But if you want to be Catholic, that's fine. Go and read that stuff. But it's not true. It's apocryphal. That's why it's not in the Scripture. But there's Michael who's an archangel. What do angels do? I don't know why I'm saying this. Why do a- Hebrews chapter 1. Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve the heirs? I have an angel. He goes with me and this is his name. Well, he may yet yeah, might be. But, you know, even angels would prefer to hide their identity, hide their personality in order to assist us to glorify Jesus. Jesus is the focus. And I, I don't deny the reality of angels. I'm, I'm right there with them. But we've got to make sure. Our, never mind. Let's move on. Let's move on. The Holy Spirit. And he was the one that was poured out on the day of Pentecost. Listen. Once when Jesus said... I will send you alos, another comforter. Alos, one, instead of heteros, which means another of a similar kind, alos in the Greek, of exactly the same kind. He immediately made the Holy Spirit his equal. Elevated him to divinity. He's not just a power, a force, an influence. He's God. One of the reasons why I'm saying this is because God in his infinite wisdom chose to hold back some of the identity of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is completely comfortable to operate that way. Uh, Many Christians don't know how to respond to the Holy Spirit correctly because their knowledge is limited of the Spirit. And in order for us to respond intelligently, we need to have a knowledge of the Holy Spirit, who he is, and what he does, what his role is. So I need to move from there now, after I've said all this. So let's just keep moving. I want to just talk through this. Because once we start off in the book of Acts, almost immediately after the introduction, you know, the opening Now the apostles are together, but there's only 11, so let's choose another one. They chose Matthias, I think it was. And then they said, all right, the full complement, the 12, we're together. Let's follow his instructions. There were 120 altogether in the upper room until the day of Pentecost fully came. And it says they were all together in one place, and suddenly, the power of God just swept into the place. A mighty rushing wing, tongues of fire came and alighted on each one of them. And they all stood up and began to speak out 
in other tongues. What a supernatural event. That marked the beginning of the heavenly Jerusalem. The city of God just came down and was established. The temple of God just established. The New Testament just begun. Exploded into life. Born again, spiritual believers. The church of Jesus Christ was just finally formed. And immediately, immediately, there was power. Immediately there was power. People start running. Peter stands up and goes, no, 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 you got it all wrong. These men are not drunk as you suppose. No, it's too early in the morning. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. Unless you're in South Africa. <laughs> you know, it's only nine o'clock in the morning. You know, it's too early to be drunk. This is that. And suddenly these men are cut to the core of their hearts and going, what must we do to be saved? He says, repent. You know, times of refreshing will come to you as well, you know. 3,000 added on the day of Pentecost. Power, power, power. And the meetings went on like it. And it tells us they went from house to house and in and out of the temple courts, daily breaking bread, you know, and uh, fellowshipping one another. And they established themselves around the apostles' doctrine and teaching, the breaking of bread and prayer and fellowship. And this dynamic, powerful community was formed. So turn with me to the book of Acts. And so great things happen. I mean, powerful things happen. In Acts chapter 3, we read how, you know, they go up to the gate beautiful and a lame man that's been there for a long time is healed. Acts chapter 4, you know, the church board calls them in. And, uh, well, the Sanhedrin and anyway, the, the Pharisees, and call them in. And they defend themselves before the Sanhedrin. In Acts chapter 4, they go back out. The place where their meeting was shaken and the great power they begin to witness up. Go with me to Acts chapter 4, verse 32. I'm just launching off of all of this and, and going um, into somewhere. Is it okay? Acts chapter 4, verse 32. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and one soul, neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own. But they had all things in common. And then it goes on to say, And with great power gave the apostles witnesses of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them. Just the apostles. No? Upon them? All. What was upon them? Great grace. Great grace was upon them all. We want great grace. Isn't that right? Great grace. It really is amazing that the apostle Paul picks it up in Ephesians 5 verse 18, and he says this, do not be drunk with wine, whereas in his, his excess, but rather be being continuously filled with the Holy Spirit in an ongoing basis. I liked one of the great men of God. They asked him, they said, you know, I think it was Branham or one of those guys. They said, why do you keep needing to be filled with the Holy Spirit? He said, because I leak a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, listen, you leak, you know. You can't run on empty. You can't run on bone dry. You can't run. You've got to continuously be being filled. So my question is, when last were you filled? Some of us, I think, were in the worship, you know. I was being filled. Man, it was awesome. And so we need to continuously be being filled. So some of the stuff that I'm going to share with you this morning, it's, I'm presenting it in the negative, but I'll turn it around into the positive, that if we have these things in place, you will experience a continuity of being filled with the Holy Spirit. So great grace was upon them. Great grace. Great grace. Great grace grace was upon them all. And so it says, neither was there any amongst them that lacked. Why? Because there was great grace upon them all. For as many as were possessors of land or houses sold them and brought the prices of the things that were sold 
and laid them down at the apostles' feet. And distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. And Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which being interpreted means the son of consolation, a Levite, and of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, every word in the Bible is important. Is that right? The Holy Spirit inspired every word. So I want you to notice great grace was upon them all. Great grace, great grace. No needs, great grace. Woo! I want great grace on this church. Because I don't want any needs. Not in finances, not in possessions, not in material things, not in sickness. I want great grace on this church. Great grace. And it says the response was this explosion of generosity. But something else, the apostles were ministering with great power. And it was a result of the great power that there was great grace together with the people responding. And then if we go to chapter 5, verse 1, it starts off with a word, but. But. Why is there a but? Whenever there's a but, it's not, it's another but. But. Great grace. Houses. Generosity. But. But. Come on. No ifs, buts, ands, and maybes. No buts. But. Why must there be a but? It shouldn't have been a but there. But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession. The implication is it was a piece of land by the context. And kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, how many of you know it was their land? They could do with their land whatever they wanted. How many of you know they didn't have to sell it? Nobody told them to sell it. Okay, so I just want you to understand. What was the context? Great grace was upon them. It'll help you to understand what I'm going to read because it sounds quite rough. But Peter said to Ananias, Why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? Everybody say, don't lie. Especially not to the Holy Spirit. And what I'm going to tell you this morning, all of these things... It also implies personality. That's not something you've got after coffee in the morning. I mean, it might help. <laughs> but you already had a residue of personality before you had your coffee. But um, So number one, he's personal. Can I say something to you? It implies personality. Number one. Number two, God is a personal God. And he became deeply personal with you when he sent his spirit to live inside of you. He could not get more personal and more intimate with you than of sending his spirit to live within you. He can't. If he was with you, it's a certain measure of involvement and intimacy in your life. But if he lives in you, it's deeply personal. Number one, because he loves you. Number two, because he's extremely, deeply interested in you. Powerfully wants to be absolutely, totally involved in your life. Completely involved. So I can't get closer involvement than to come inside of you and empower you from the inside. He's a personal, loving, living in God. 
It's Emmanuel, God with us. And so the whole thing here, the whole thing here is that, let's carry on reading. Give back part of the price. Or whilst it remained, was it not thine own? And after it sold, was it not thine own power? You could do with it whatever you wanted to with that piece of land. Why hast thou conceived this thing in thy heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. While Peter is still talking, Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost. It didn't mean he got delivered. He died. Ouch. And then a major understatement in the Bible comes, and it says, And great fear <laughs> came on all them that heard these things. Oh, my gosh. When is it my turn? Great fear. Fear of God is a good thing. And the young men rose, and they wound him up in grave cloths. They took him out, and they buried him. And it was about the space of three hours after when his wife, not knowing what was done, came in. You know, they just very ungracious apostles. They didn't even send news. Hey, listen, honey, your husband got struck dead in church. Come quickly. Didn't say nothing. And then Peter answered unto him, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. Then Peter said to her, how is it that you've agreed together to tempt, tempt the Spirit of the Lord? Tempt. You know, right, right there she had an opportunity to say, no, actually that wasn't the price. We sold it for more. Yes, Pastor John, are you beating us up this morning? No, no, I'm, you'll see. Again, implies personality. He's a person. And so the same thing happens to her. Then we go down to verse 12. Great fear comes upon the church and awe of God and a great reverence and a great respect. And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. And if you carry on, the great grace continued. This passage of Scripture is a little bit of a grace theology nightmare. God is such a gracious, loving God. Why did this happen? See, because we misinterpret grace to mean the leniency of God. But grace is not. Grace is the power of God. In other words, because great grace was present, it means they were more than able at any other time not to be deceptive. Privilege implies responsibility. The more of God, the more of God, the more of the fear of God needs to be in place. That's why revivals, some funny things happen in revivals. Because there's great grace, which means you've got access to so much more, which leaves you with less excuse. Come on, church, just say amen. amen. Does it make sense to you? And so I've got a whole teaching on Ananias and Sapphira. But suffice it to say, it was because the extent of the grace of God and was because of the birth of the early church, it was because what God was doing. How many of you can see the enemy was involved because he said, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart to lie? And listen, Ananias had a decision and he had a choice and he cooperated with it and so did his wife. But it was because of the great grace, it brought greater judgment. So the more grace you want, you've got to understand the more holiness we need to walk in. Because if there's great grace, we've got less excuse not to. 
Do you understand what I'm saying? Okay, so because of the great grace. So now, let me just walk you through this. Here's the church born with power, with signs and wonders. It's right at the beginning of the New Testament. It's right. The church has been born in power. When's the best time to snuff it out? Right now. When it's in the bud form. When it's in the initial phase. Because once it takes root and goes for it, you're not going to snuff this thing out. So the place to interject is right in its inception, right at its birth. Let's abort the church. So let's corrupt this power by introducing sin. And that's why God had to take a hard line on it. And I want to just say something to you. This passage bothered me until somebody said this to me one day, my Bible college lecturer. He said it wasn't an eternal judgment. It was a temporal judgment. In other words, Ananias and Sapphira did not lose their salvation. They died, but they lost their lives on earth. We will meet them one day with Jesus. They didn't lose their salvation. But they did lose the opportunity of the rest of their lives. Because Barnabas we read about. But Ananias and Sapphira do not appear in the scriptures again. So what was this thing? What was this thing? What was this thing here? The thing was was lying by implication, lying by action. This is one way not to be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is one way not to get more of the Holy Spirit. So, so let's just flip this thing around. Let's just flip the thing around. If we walk in honesty and integrity, if we walk in truthfulness with God and ourselves and others to the, to the degree that we can, how many of you know we will have more of the Holy Spirit? So just swing it around. Just swing it around. Okay? Just swing it around. I'm not saying this church is full of liars. Okay? So listen. Listen to what I'm not saying. Everybody listening to me. Listen to what I'm not saying. I am not saying that we have to be perfect. You know, as long as we're progressing. Is that right? As long as we're growing. I mean, God understands our weakness. That's why He's our gracious high priest. Is that okay? And so as long as we're progressing and moving forward with God, God understands our weaknesses. Woo, thank you, Jesus. God is gracious with my weaknesses. But we need to just be careful, you know, that we don't do deliberate actions. Deliberately being deceptive. That's the issue. That's when we lie to the Holy Spirit. So how is it that Christians can lie to the Holy Spirit? It's an amazing you know, and there's a little bit of a degree to which, you know, once somebody said to me, not a Christian, the church is full of hypocrites. Christians are full of hypocrites. So I said, listen, when you get to work, do you behave at work like you do at home with your wife? I said, no, you know, when you're at home with your wife, you're allowed to. You can put your guard down and you're, and you're just yourself. I said, but when you get to work, you put your best foot forward and you put on your smile. You might have been grumpy in the car, but you could get fired or be told off. So you walk into it. I said, is that not a hypocrite? Hypocrite means another face. Said the world. Said, yeah, the world's full of hypocrites. I said, at least the ones in church are forgiven. At least they're growing. So he didn't know what to say. So should I carry on? It's okay. It's fine. Point taken. It's when our actions belie the reality. That's a way not to be filled. So we're talking about Pentecost, isn't that right? Now, I understand, look, I, you know, you've had a hard week and you're tired and, and it's, it's been tough and maybe you fought, you kicked the dog before you came to church or something, you fought with, shouted at somebody on the way or whatever. 
Then you walk in, hello, brother, hello, sister, how are you? Yes, blessed. That's just called good manners. That's fine, okay? As long as you're sorry about <laughs> all that stuff, and you try not to repeat it, you know what I'm saying? That's, that's cool. You understand what I'm saying? But when it, we're something deliberate, when we do things, we know are wrong. But we want to give the impression we're right. Yeah. And holy. And just. Lying by action. That's a way not to be getting more of the Holy Spirit. So when we say, Holy Spirit, you are welcome in this place. We want to be filled. Is that right? So while I'm speaking, while I'm speaking, I'm not out to bash you. I really, I really am not. I really am not. But I understand the person of the Holy Spirit. I understand it. And the thing is, as I'm speaking, if God shows you something, you acknowledge it. Once you acknowledge it, he comes and says, right, here I am to help you. We'll change this thing. Is that okay? The power of acknowledgement, it's the prelim to say repentance, the changing of the mind. If I can just acknowledge it. Lord, yeah, yes, I need to walk in honesty, integrity, truthfulness. The young prophet came to see me this week. And he said, um, John, I, I just need to talk to you because he's doing business as well as ministry. And he just said to me, I, I, I just don't know what to do anymore. <laughs> I'm so scared of doing business with Christians. How many times I've heard that? I'm so tired. He said, I, I, I've been doing business. The guy owes me, I think he said 250,000 rand. I just don't have, I don't have money. But, and he said, this guy will talk to you about Jesus. He loves you. He'll talk to you about Jesus and will cry. But then he does mean in business, not once, over and over again. Yeah. And I said, it's because we're gullible. We mistake the tears for character. Your love for God is not equivalent with your character. Yeah. Rather cry less and have more character. Show your love by your, I love Jesus by your, yes, this is a hard message, this, eh? So I'm just saying, turn it around. This is what we will do, and we'll be full of the Holy Spirit. Is that okay? And the incredible thing is, we can lie by action. We can lie by action. We can lie by action. We can lie by our behavior. And, and we kid ourselves, you know? We kid ourselves that God is going to bless us. So the next one follows right after it in chapter 5 verse 9 when he says, don't tempt the Holy Spirit. Don't tempt him. What is the tempting the Holy Spirit all about? Tempting the Holy Spirit is this. And I mean, you can find it Psalm 78, Psalm 90 something. You can find it all the way back in Numbers 14, I think, all the way. God said to Israel, these 10 times you've tempted me. When Satan came to Jesus and said, listen, it's written in the scriptures, your foot won't dash a stone, throw yourself off the edge of this cliff, and, and his angels will come and catch you. And he says, listen, it's also written, it says, don't tempt the Lord your God. In other words, don't do something your own way, and then say, God, okay, now bless it. Yeah. I was talking to a young person once, and I said, this is what you need, you need to serve God, and you need to do this, and because they were talking about they're not blessed financially. I said, are you tithing? No. Are you coming to church? No. So I said, well, how can God bless you? No, well, I serve God my way. I said, well, yeah, it doesn't work like that. Serve God his way. That's tempting God. I'll serve God my way. God bless me. And he goes, how can I? That's tempting me. Tempting God is to say, God, I will do this. I'm not going to do it your way, but God, will you bless me? 
all the time, all the time, all the time. Couples are coming to me. We want to get married. And we want to get married in church. We want you to do the wedding. Who are you? Who are you? No, no, we heard about you and you do the most amazing weddings and all this kind of thing. Who are you? Do you go to church? You serve God. Mm, well, you know, we were baptized and we were kids. And... Do you serve God? Actually, the one day I plucked up enough courage to actually say it. So you want to get married in church. Why? No, no, we want the blessing of God. I said, only on that day. Don't you want the blessing of God in your whole life? Just that day. Just that day. We want the blessing of God. I said, listen, you're asking me to do something I can't do. And God can't do. And I said it as lovingly, as nice, and with the biggest smile on my face. I said, you're asking me to do something I can't do. I can't. I said, I'll do the wedding for you. But, you know, about the blessing of God, it's your life, your whole life. You need to live for God. I said, will you be in church on the Sunday? Will you serve him? No, I did it my way. And now, Lord, please bless me. Yeah, sorry. Tied my hands. You can't do it your way and say, God bless me. Listen, simply, simply, you can't not come to church and expect God to answer prayers. You can't not serve God. And another young man contacted, can I come and see you? And I said, yeah, sure, just make an appointment. Yeah, I know, because, and I, I know this guy. And he's angry at God. I mean, he's swearing on Facebook, using the F word. You know, I don't care who sees this. Hey, well, I'm seeing it. More importantly, God is seeing it. You know? And then he's going, oh, you know, because, because I prayed and God didn't answer my prayers. Where's God? So I'm still waiting for him. I'm going to say, where are you with God? question is not where is God. Where are you with God? Where are you? Where are you? I know where God is. I know where God is. But where are you? You bunked out of school. And your parents try to tell you on condition. You keep studying. You didn't. You don't work. Smulch off your parents. You haven't got enough gumption to go and earn a salary. You do not come to church. Does this sound a bit hard? Yeah, it's because it is hard. <laughs> I'm a grace preacher. You don't have enough gumption to earn yourself a salary, and then you cry because God didn't answer your prayer. Where are you with God? All the things I spoke to you about, you, about obey your parents, do something with your own hands that you got something, all godly things. Where are you with God? Come on, church. We've got to get real. If we want revival, we can't tempt the Holy Spirit and say, bless what I'm doing. Oh, and by the way, I don't know if you notice, it's got nothing to do with what you said. Must I elaborate or can I just move off this one? Do you want me to elaborate? Should I elaborate? Should I give examples or should I move on? You think maybe enough said? Enough said? Maybe is it too much in TMI, too much information? <laughs> got to move off it. That's why Christians have got a bad name. We need to live the life in order to have the life, to have the power, we need to live the life. Can't do business and be wicked in business and accept God to bless it. Can't be judgmental, critical, gossipy and expect God to bless it. You can't not serve God and expect God to serve you.
I've said it before. There are so many people that want to date God and occasionally date the church, but God must be married to them. And everything's gone wrong. Why is God doing this? Where is God? Where are you with God? It was what God said to Adam. Where are you? I want to bless you. Where are you? You're not where I am. Where are you? Yeah, this is a tough, tough meeting, this. But I'm talking about how to be being filled with the Holy Spirit. Continuously. Honesty. Don't tempt God. Live for God. Obey Him. Obey God. Obey. Obey God. Obey Him. It's the accepted norm. Couples live together before they get married. And then they want to get married. And then we just come and say, bless you. God says, how can I? This is a really anal one. They want to be in ministry. Act like this is normal. Listen, church, it's not God's way. If it's not God's way, he cannot bless it. Even the audacity to ask him to is to tempt him and lie to him. And so we can go on and on and on. Let's not. Number three. Turn to Acts 7.51. I don't know if you know that I'm doing this in biblical chronological order. Acts 5.1 verses 3 to 5. Acts 5.9. Acts 7.51. In Acts 7.51, it was the occasion when Stephen was brought before the Sanhedrin. And just after that, they stoned him to death. And um, Stephen is delivering a discourse, just plotting out the history of Israel, the people of God, to the leaders who should be knowing all of this. He's plotting it out. And it got to a stage where when they looked at his face, and his face shone like that of an angel, and they, they couldn't um, compete with the reasoning, the power of the Spirit with which he spoke. Now, if you read Acts chapter 7, you read it, you think like, okay, where is the power that they're talking about? Where's that power? But obviously when he delivered it, there was a great anointing on it because they stood up and they ran towards him. They were screaming their objections and wanting to quieten him. Then he stands up and he says this, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. You do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did, so do ye. And he goes on in the next verses, um, for sake of time, and he starts to talk about how God sent the prophets, and you never listened to one of them, and you killed them all. That was a direct resistance to the divine messages that God was trying to speak. And when he says in verse 51, he says, you know, you stiff-necked. In other words, unyielding, unrepentant, unchanging, you know? Um, my dad was like that, you know? My Omar used to call him, you know, my bullneck. You know, my, my bullnexian. Because when he made his mind up, you will not change his mind. You know, it was stiff-necked. Even if he was wrong, because he made up his mind, he's not changing. Yeah, it's a good quality, but it's also, if you're wrong, you're wrong, rather say sorry, then it's a bad quality. He said, you're stiff-necked, you're stiff-necked, you're resistant, you're stubborn. Listen, church, one of the things about the Spirit is he comes, and he's the ultimate gentleman. He speaks and he suggests. He doesn't command. He's not heavy. You know, he would rather influence as a leader 
and assist you with your decision-making and with your life and living it out. But he doesn't come and automate you. He doesn't come and take control. He doesn't possess you in that sense. And so there needs to be a yieldedness and a suppleness in your spirit and in your psyche to obey him. Otherwise, we become stiff-necked. Because he speaks and 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 speaks. And that's one thing the Holy Spirit does. He teaches by repetition. And he doesn't give up. And he speaks and he teaches and he speaks line upon line. He just brings it in another facet and another person, another angle. And he's continuously trying. But we need to be supple enough and humble enough to listen and, and say, yes, yes, Holy Spirit, yes. And he says, you uncircumcise in hearts and ears. Now, understand that circumcision for the Jew was a big thing. In other words, there was a circumcision on the anatomy of flesh taken away, and it represented that they were in covenant and in covenant with God, and they would obey the law. In other words, obey the word that God gave them. And so it was a sign. And, he, and here he's coming as New Testament believers. He said, your hearts are uncircumcised. You do not submit to the word of God. You don't listen to God's word. It's clear, it's blatant, it's obvious, it's direct, it says it. And you still disobey it. No, you need to obey the word. Obey the word. Do what God says. Come on, church, I'm talking about, instead of resisting the Holy Spirit, I'm talking about yielding to the Holy Spirit. It's another way to be filled. Yield to the Holy Spirit when He speaks. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. I mean, many servants um, in the Bible, when God spoke, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. According to me, according to your word, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. When somebody said no and ran the opposite direction, he got a whole book written about him, Jonah. The disobedient prophet who ran the other way, yes, Lord. (laughs) You know, resisting the Holy Spirit. Wow. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes. Yes, Lord. Yes. Okay, Lord, yes. Yes, Lord, that's going to be tough, but I'll do it. Please, will you help me? Yes, Lord. What do you say, yes, Lord? Yes, yes, Holy Spirit. Yes is the answer he's looking for. Yes. Whom shall I go? And who can I send? Then I said, Yes. It's a way to be filled. Yes. Obedience. Immediately. Obedience. 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 Can I throw something else in? This is like the family getting together and dad is talking, you know? Can I throw something else in? Because I don't know about you. I want much grace. I want more grace. I want, more glo- I want more glory, more power. I want more. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, yes, Lord. You know, if I hadn't said yes to the Lord a couple of years ago, probably I wouldn't be here. When that New Year's Eve, I sat up by myself, and once it went past midnight, I sat, and before I went and jumped in the pool and swam, which is part of my New Year's routine, I begin it the way I wish to continue it, swimming in the water, preferably catching fish. (sighs) And then I said to the Lord, okay, Lord, what do you want for for me for this year? And he said, from now on, immediate immediate obedience. I don't want delayed obedience anymore. Immediate obedience. 
immediate. And I said, Lord, but what about, you know, those times when I delay because I'm not sure? He says, just trust me. Just, you've been around a while. Just obey. Because that was a little bit of an excuse. Because I know when God says things like it's normally a setup. Because normally after that is empty your bank account. <laughs> or give another car away. So I'm a bit cautious about. Yes. <laughs> yeah, these words. <laughs> Don't check my heart out. Yeah, these words. Yeah. Anything else? Yes. <laughs> and it wasn't long after that I was standing on the stage and the Lord says to me, get the church to pray for you because the enemy wants to take your life. Yeah. And then you guys all prayed for me on the Sunday and on the Thursday. Somebody puts a gun through the window. I was trying to shoot me, shooting my heart. Yeah. Didn't get it right. And no fear gripped me, not even this much. Yeah. Because I'd heard from God. Yeah. Come on, church. I don't know about you, but I want to live that life. I want to live the supernatural. I want to walk in the Spirit. Then I can't resist Him. And I'm not just talking about resisting His leading by the Spirit. I'm talking about resisting Him through the hearing of the Word. Is this okay? Forgive me that it's so tough. I, I, I know you wanted Holy Ghost and fall on the floor. That will come. But at least then it will be lasting. So let me finish very quickly. Don't resist him. Number four. Wow. I don't know about you, but I mean, I can feel the increase of the presence of God. I mean, there's like a brooding on the church. It's a brooding in this place. Then we go to Ephesians 4.30. Probably of all the words, this is the most intimate word. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't grieve Him. We can grieve the Holy Spirit. Grieving is not equal to leaving. Grieving is equal to hurting. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed unto the day of redemption. You were sealed with Him. Sealed with Him. Grieve not the Holy Spirit. Now, Paul, if you go back a few verses, I think to about verse 25, he talks about the fact that we, you know, we need to put on Christ. We need to put on the new man that we've been renewed into. And he talks about certain things that we need to be putting off. And he talks about put away lying, put away coarse speech and bad joking. You know, the bad jokes, the untasteful jokes, the below the belt jokes. He talks about wholesome speech. Coming out of a mouth that will edify the listeners. Speech seasoned with salt. He's talking about those things. He's talking about speaking truthfully to your neighbors. He talks about not stealing. The one who steals must steal no longer. He talks about not giving place to the devil. He talks about don't give over to fits of rage and anger. He talks about those things. Bitterness, raging, brawlings, and all those kinds of things. He says, don't do those things. That grieves the spirit. Very interesting. But listen, you know, I've lost you already. And you're all feeling beat up, so I might as well just carry on. Okay. <laughs> Not many people are feeling very filled at the moment. Okay. But that word seal is a, an amazing word. It's an amazing word. You were sealed by the Spirit unto the day of redemption. Sealed. Sealed by the Spirit. Seal is that stamp, you know, the wax stamp with the, 
the thing on that. Often they used to do with the ring or the, the stamp. You seal it. You know, any university worth its salt, you know, when you get your certificate at the end, it's still got the wax with the, the seal, maybe a little ribbon in it, you know, the official seal. It's marked, you know. So two things about that sealing, two things. Can I tell you quickly two things about that sealing? Sealed means that everything that God has done for you has been sealed to you. In other words, it's been closed, it's deposited, it's sealed, it's safe. Is that okay? So everything. So in other words, your salvation is safe. Tell the person next to you, you're not going to backslide. You're not going to go to hell. You're safe. Yeah, you're safe. It's sealed. But the second thing is, the second thing, and this is the most important thing that I want to bring out, you are certified and approved as genuine. So when God sets his seal on you, it's also a seal of approval. So when God sealed you in your salvation, he said, I'm sealing all this to you, but I'm sealing on you my approval. The other thing that goes with it, I'm sealing you as my own. I've marked you with my mark. And it's no wonder then the Holy Spirit get hurt because when we behave in those ways, he says, he's basically saying, this hurts me because you're bathing out of character. You're behaving in a way that is non-approved according to your approval. So it wounds him. Is that good? Grieving the Holy Spirit. There are times when you can literally feel the grief of the Spirit. I'm not, I'm not talking about feeling it in someone else. In yourself. The grief of the Spirit. I remember first experiencing this in my home church. And it was just in the atmosphere in the church. I, I, I just, it was the most terrible feeling I'd ever felt in my life. An elder stood up and took the microphone. And uh, he was doing his little number, but it was just a performance from beginning to end. It was just a show. I literally felt the Spirit of God inside me grieve and step. It was like he stepped out of me and he walked away. Like he was saying, I'm not a party to this. I will never forget that. Never. It was, the, it was one of the most terrible things I'd ever experienced up until that time. The grief of the Spirit. So instead of grieving this word, pleasing this word, to be being continuously full. You? This is a tough message, eh? Last of all, so we go to First Thessalonians 5.18. There's others, but these are sufficient. I think the others would not serve the purpose. But First Thessalonians 5.18 says this. What does it say? 5.19 says, do not despise prophesying. What does 5.18 say? It says, quench not. Quench not the Spirit of God. Quench not the Holy Spirit. Despise not prophesying. Quench not. Don't resist the Holy Spirit. Don't quench it. And you know, that can go from miles all the way through. We can outright reject His movings. We can decide, you know, the move of the Spirit is too messy. It's too messy. You know how many churches, I was asked to, to speak in, in a denomination at their pastor's gathering. And the quenching of the spirit that's taken place there because they all despise prophecy. So I really went for it. I prophesied. Words of knowledge, I prophesied. I prophesied over them. Then I said, I feel I need to lay hands on all of you and anoint you with oil just to increase the measure of the prophetic in you. May I? And the chairman stood up and said, no, you must, you must. And they're still talking about it. So I phoned them the other day and I said, do you need help in any of your churches? Do you want me to come and 
said, uh, give me a couple of days. I'll get back to you. I'm not expecting anything. If I do, it'd be great. Andre Bronkos phoned me and he said, it's a particular denomination that, you know, AFM churches that John G. Lake started, started in great power, great signs and wonders. And he said, I, I, think you need to, I think I need to ask you to come and help me. Because all these churches are opening, coming, asking me to teach on the prophetic. And he said, they know nothing. Many of them are out, out aggressively anti the prophetic and the move of the spirit. This was a denomination of John G. Lake, great power. Yeah. What happened? They quenched, yeah. quenched, 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 quenched the Holy Spirit. You find it in many churches. As soon as you feel that atmosphere, and it's like, yo, God's going to come. Um, let's do something. Listen, it's not just the leaders. It's the members. The Spirit moves on you, and He says, I want you to run around the church. Mm. Here I am, Lord. Send Alma. You know, in little things, in little things. I remember Jared Cooper telling me, I think I told you the story. He was asked to preach at this super big church, and he thought, if I preach at this church, what? The doors that will be open, the ministry will take off. Wow. Because to have that on your CV, I preached at this church, you know, it's a big CV thing, you know, it's powerful. And he was just going like, okay, um, uh, Lord, I'm going to go and preach there. But Holy Spirit, please behave yourself. Behave yourself. Don't do anything that I wouldn't do, you know. And he said he was sitting on the front row listening and this very dignified, you know, British, you know. And uh, we have the Reverend Jared Cooper with us today. And he's going to minister um, and he's going to share the word of the Lord with us, you know. And then and he's going like, oh, Holy Spirit, please behave yourself. And he's sitting there and the Lord says to him, get up. And run as fast as you can up the aisle. And he's going, you weren't listening to me, Lord. You weren't listening. You weren't listening. I'll ask him to tell you the story. You're not listening to me. I can't do that. This is, you know, this church. And God says to him again, loud, loud, loud. He says, Jared, get up and run up that aisle of the church to the one to the left. And he was like, Ugh. and he's going, God, you know, if I blow it here, that's it. You know, this open doors, this is an open door. You gave me this open door, God. And then the Lord says to him, third time, he says, run, Jared. And he jumps up and he runs. He turns, runs across the front. He says, he didn't look, he didn't look, he didn't look. He says, he just, he just did one of those charismatic things. And he said, he was just up that aisle. And then he ran, it was, as he was running, he heard people shouting and screaming. And then up that row was running another lady. And he thought, at least I'm not on my own. Thank you, Jesus. And this lady's running, and everybody in the church is shouting, woo! And then he runs across the back, runs, and he sits down, and he's mortified. And he's going, oh, that's it. It's finished. It's finished. And then they're like, okay, we're hand over to Jared Cooper. And he preaches, and he's just like, amen, bless you, bye, out the church, gone. And he's going, okay, God, you blew that. You blew it for me. Blew it. So in that week, I think it was on the Tuesday, the the pastor of the church phones him and says, you know, Jared, can you come see me, please? And he's going, yeah, okay, Jared comes, the rev. Jared comes. Okay, I'll come see you. So he goes and sees him. He says, look, I just wanted to tell you, you know, I don't, I don't know what that was all about. I don't know. But the instant you got up and ran, that lady was suffering with um, MS, and she couldn't walk. She hasn't been able to walk for a long time. But the instant you jumped and started running, God healed her, and she was running up that aisle. Please, can you come back and preach? Come on. What will your cooperation with the Holy Spirit do? What will happen if we cooperate with God? 
Come on, the greatest wisdom you can do, the greatest favor you can do yourself is to obey the Holy Spirit. Grieve not his promptings. Whether it's go and tell that person you're sorry or go and sow that money or keep your tithe going, whatever it is, don't miss church. Get up and go and pray. No matter what it is, you know, whatever the Lord says will bring the blessing of God. So there's a man who's going to commit suicide. I know this guy. It's going to, not the guy that's going to commit suicide, the other guy. I'll tell you about him. He's going to commit suicide, and he just decides he's going to go on this particular long, lonely road. Right up at the end of this long, lonely road, there's a gas station. And um, he's going to go past the gas station. He's going to go out where it's quiet, and he's, going, he's taking his revolver with him, and he's going, to, he's going to end his life. Meanwhile, there's another guy that God starts to speak to and says, you need to go up that road. And you need to go to that gas station. So he's driving and saying, okay, Lord. He argues and eventually he feels the prompting of the Spirit. And he says, okay, Lord, I'll go. So he goes. Now he's heading up that road. Behind him is heading up the same road. They don't know. He's heading up the same road. A guy who's got his gun, suicidal, is going to end his life. This is what he said to the Lord. When I get to that petrol station, if there's a man by the gas pump, standing on his head with his feet up in the air against the gas pump. I'll know it's you and I won't commit suicide and I will then give my life to you and serve you. That's what the suicidal man says. The other brother driving, going, Lord, why must I go there? He says, when you get there, park your car, go to the gas pump, stand on your head with your feet against the... It's going... Who's there? <laughs> get out my head. <laughs> You know, and he's going, no ways. You know, this is when we go, a devil, I bind you. God will never put one of us, his servants, to shame. You'll never embarrass me. Oh, will you not? You'll never humiliate me. Yeah. So sure enough, so he goes and does it. And of course, the guy in the gas station, you know, because in America, they're just chicken on there. And there's this guy getting on his head, up against him, feet against the palm, standing, going, okay, Lord, how long, how long, how long? <laughs> this feels stupid, I mean. I mean, this really feels daft, eh? I know this guy. It really feels daft. And it's like, oh, no, oh, no. And eventually the Lord says, no, it's okay. He's like, the guy's looking, he's like, okay. The other guy comes driving past, and he goes, no ways, no ways. Pulls in. Start speaking to him. This guy leads that guy to the Lord. Doesn't go and commit suicide. You can feel the atmosphere now. If we will acknowledge, if we will respond, if we will yield, you'll feel. I want you to go and lay hands on that person and pray for them for healing. Well, Lord, in our church, you know, that's Pastor John's job and Yaku and Marius and Andre and Colin and others. And Go and pray for that person. Go and lay hands on them. Go and speak to that person. Come on, don't pray prayers here. Fill my cup, Lord. Fill it up. And he's going, yippee-dippee-doo. I'm so glad you asked that because in this week I've got something for you to do. Yeah. And I'm going to fill you. Give him permission. Yeah. And then do the action. This is another way of looking at it. This, it's all in the scriptures. Is that right? Yeah. I think I've said enough. Did you get something? Yes. This is all separate to 
Be hungry. Be thirsty. Pursue. That's the hunger side. This is the conformity side. Truth. Obey. Yield. Don't hurt. And then don't quench. Rather than quench, liberate the spirit. Let God arise. I don't want to drag it out. I don't want to keep you long. But I do want to apply it. One of the things that I've learned about the Holy Spirit is this, is that he takes my prayer seriously. And I want to tell you, any, any response that you made while I was preaching, any acknowledgement, oh, okay. Any response, any yieldedness has already brought the immediate action and response, the co-reaction of the Holy Spirit. There was a move from heaven earthwards, basically, if you could say it that way. There was a rising up of the Spirit inside of you to start to fill you and take more control. I've preached into quietness. I feel like I've convicted you and condemned you and, and everything like that. I'm, I'm not. I'm just trying to speak the truth. Is that right? It applies to me. I did all my stuff this week. I was just saying, okay, Lord, sorry, 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 sorry. And yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, more, Lord, more, Lord. I want much grace on this church. I want much grace on my life. I want much power on my life. Can I... The thing that I wanted to say just now, I didn't say it, so I'm going to say it. So many, so many Christians are praying and praying and praying and praying, and prayer is good. I believe in prayer. I I really do. I I mean, you know that. But sometimes you've got to stop praying and start doing something. Sometimes you're praying to try and change the situation, but it's you. you. You've got to do something. You need to stand up and speak. You need to stand up and change. You need to stand up and put something into action. If it, Look, obviously, if it's beyond your ability, you pray. You can pray for wisdom to do the right thing. But we abandon, we relegate a lot of things to prayer because we don't want to do what's required to do. You're not going to change God's mind, and you're not going to change the situation. You have to change. You've got to do the right thing. So let me go back. So as we've responded, as we come to the Lord, He responds to us, and then He says, right, let me just come fill those places. Sorry, Lord, if I give the impression that. Sorry, Lord, if I then expect, you know, you to bless when I'm not doing what you want me to do. Sorry, Lord. So I just acknowledge it. I don't want to resist you. I don't want to grieve you, and I don't want to quench you. I want to release you. So over the next coming weeks, I'm going to carry on with the theme of Pentecost. I'm going to keep looking at person and work of the Holy Spirit, and then we're going to just keep inviting Him to come. Is that okay? Last weekend, we, it was good. We were anointed. We were prophesied over. It was good. It was good. But this is no less the ministry of the Spirit than last week. In fact, for us to go forward in greater power, this is contingent on us today. So I want you to lift your hands now. Just respond whatever way, however. Father, I want to thank you that as we responded, as we sung that song of invitation, that you just come more powerfully, more influentially, more directingly into our lives, filling us with your gracious, precious, powerful, loving Holy Spirit. Lord, we surrender, we submit, we yield. We declare we're not in charge. You're Lord of our lives.
be healed, we listen. With a view to obey, we listen. So I release you. I release you knowing full confident, fully confident and full well that God is true to his word. That you can begin to expect fresh moves and fresh winds and fresh breezes of heaven in your life and fresh oil just falling upon you. The fresh, fresh settling of that heavenly dove. I release you with the sure knowledge and confidence the Spirit of God that things will begin to shift and move for you as you respond and as you acknowledge and as you move with Him and heal with Him. I speak blessing over you. I commit you to His grace, to His Spirit, knowing that He will bring you into a larger place, out of the straitjackets of confinement, into the freedom his favor with himself and with me. Release you knowing full well that you're in God's capable hands and capable care. That God loves you. He's going to graciously bring you into your full destiny and identity. Nothing shall keep you back. Nothing shall hold you back. I release you from condemnation. But where the Spirit convinced you and persuaded you, I commit you to that. Until it's finalized in Jesus' name. So from Pastor John to you, I love you very much. I love you so much. Thank you for being here. I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. Go with the blessing of God.